everybody. TJ Schwartz here. Welcome back to the Edge and Flow podcast. I'm here with Lucas Burnley. We've got a topic talking about timelines, hitting them. Should you not have timelines at all? Are timelines a, a good idea? Uh, we all we all have situations where we make promises and people ask you how long for XYZ to take place. And you, you say, oh, in my head, it's probably three weeks. I'm going to tell them five weeks. I'm going to tell them four. I'm going to tell them three. And it's just a big conversation to have about like, what kind of promises do you make? What kind of timelines do you tell people? What kind of timelines do you tell yourself? What do you Internal think? Internal versus external timelines. Yeah. yeah. It's a big time, man. It just applies got, to a lot of just stuff. Had like a panic attack thinking about timelines. Yeah. So <laughs> where, where, where should we start with this one? Because I feel like there's, there's a few different ways that we can like kind of unfold the, the like thought process. Hmm. Right. Is it easier to go from a production standpoint, like internal timelines when you're project planning? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, I make promises to myself that I'm going to do X, Y, Z just as a motivational tool and then try to set just a guideline in my head of like, I wanted this done by the end of the year, et cetera. And then it's like, I find myself beating myself up sometimes if I don't pull it off. But then the question was like, was it unrealistic in the first place or was it unproductive to set the timeline or not? I don't know. I think gut response right out of the gate is it's not unproductive if you learn it as a learning, as you use it as a learning mechanism. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, um, in a, in a large way, I think like this is, this is kind of fun because you're moving towards like being very efficient for a long time. I actually moved away from external timelines, right? Mm -hmm. My goal was to have the freedom and flexibility to the work at the pace that I wanted and to be able to jump kind of around creative projects, productive projects, like, you know, get the spark and like roll into something Mm -hmm. else. And if you're, if you're on a really tight timeline, that is super inefficient. Um, and, and like probably like a dangerous way to like run a business. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think where you're at now, like internally, I do the same thing. Um, I would say that 90% of the time I fail to meet my own estimated timeline. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Where would you be at? Yeah, I'd say that's probably accurate. Okay. I mean, from a manufacturing standpoint, that's new to me to make these kind of timelines and right. promises to myself. And so, like for example, I've I've talked about this new knife that I'm working on and I've I've restructured the way I want to approach it and what I want to have done before I go and actually launch it is now more, meaning when I start selling them, I want to have them like nearly complete. And so that's pushing my timeline and it's like giving me a little bit of anxiety. But in my head, I'm like, nothing really moved. I just changed the structure of execution. Oh, but that right there, yeah, that's it. Moving mm-hmm. moving target. It's essentially hedonic treadmill for the maker. Mm-hmm. You guys can't see, but I'm pointing my finger at the screen right now. <laughs> <laughs> because I can feel it, right? Which is you set a goal. And then as soon as the goal is set, you instantly move the goal. Yeah. If you're looking at it from like a, a, like a standpoint of self-compassion, that is brutal. Like future, you just created a huge problem for future you. Right. Right. But is it overall, this, I get, this might be like an issue of scale too, right? Like where you're at now, like you, so first project essentially you would say is completed the overland. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. 
in that you had already, you were working towards a new goal. Before you were fully finished, you had kind of set the goal based on your previous goal, the Overland. Mm -hmm. By the time you were done, you probably learned some things, saw some areas for refinement and shifted that goal. Right. So the question becomes, this is again, it's like an efficiency thing. Is there a point to stop moving the goal and just be like, all right, for right now, this is the goal. I just need to work with what I have and then complete the project, then reassess, then move forward. So where would you say you are at in the process of your new, new model goal? Uh, well, the new model goal is again, I think I'm on track. Like I wanted to have be selling them by the end of the year. Okay. But I was gonna sell them at an earlier point in the process. So the timeline of the knife is hasn't moved. It's the timeline of selling them has moved. And okay. the only reason it matters is I was like, I was kind of looking forward to like certain goals about this year, about getting a new model, like having multiple models come out this year. And so it moving into next year feels like it feels like going from December 31st to January 1st, as far as when I'm selling them, right. feels like a more important thing than it really should be. Right. It's an arbitrary, um, it's arbitrary goal. But, yeah. but this is the thing, right? This happens with investing too, right? Like you can make it a decision fully based on numbers, but your emotion comes into play. Yeah. Right. This is like, they talk about, you know, like the Dave Ramsey stuff, like that snowball. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like different ways to do it, which is one way would be that you pay off your smallest debt first. Okay. And you roll that into your next smallest debt and you just go up the line yeah. as you're making minimum payments. From a number standpoint, it actually, you, you would pay off the balance with the highest interest rate. There's like different ways to look at psychologically. A lot of people though, they get the momentum from paying off that, that small debt. Yeah. So even though it's not maybe necessarily the most, most like mathematically efficient model, it's a motivational tool. It's a human tool. motivational tool. Yeah. So you're, yeah. you're probably dealing with some of the same stuff. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm all right with that, but I think, uh, there's the internal timelines, which, you know, I struggle with sometimes, you know, arguing with myself over what I should be doing and what I shouldn't be doing. But then there's also like people ask me, Oh, you got a new knife coming. When's it coming? So that's a, a big, big question is when you have these timelines that you've theorized in your head, what do you tell people? Like if people ask for timelines, like what's your philosophy on telling people timelines? A couple of ways of looking at this, I guess, general conversation, I'd probably use my internal timeline. I'm hoping to have this done here. Mm -hmm. Anytime it relates to a promise to a customer or business, I am much more, (laughs) uh, vague, I guess. And vague might not actually be the right term, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I just realize that currently the way my business runs and the, the variables of like my life, family, all of this stuff, they don't lend themselves to like super hard and fast timelines Mm -hmm. because essentially I am, I am the one who will either make it work or fail. So if you have a single point system, I think timelines become really, really hard to meet on a continual basis, Mm -hmm. right? Short, maybe short timelines. Like I would say anything within a week to two weeks is pretty easy to kind of give an estimate on. Mm -hmm. 
you get out to a month and it's like your variables as a, as a sole operator, they just, there's like too many things that start to pop up mm-hmm. six months. Like it just starts to get so spread out. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. yeah, that's a, yeah. that's a, that's a tough one. And I think, I think early on, especially when I was still taking like orders for custom work, I tried to guesstimate by the time I stopped taking orders, which was in 2012 at that point, essentially what it meant to have a book spot was there was no timeline and no final price point. Mm-hmm. Your name went into a book. You're in a queue. You're in a queue, but there was, but past that there was no obligation to either party. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that a lot of that was because of what I saw happening in the market with people taking like money up front or, you know, quoting timelines, locking in prices. And then all of a sudden that price they had locked in to try and make it six months, that knife is being completed three years later. Mm -hmm. So there's just, I think there's just some, some stuff you have to look at very critically. Yeah. Yeah, And where I'm at right now, if you haven't looked at my website is like, I, I quote two to three months on my Overland and in future models, could be similar, but I, I am getting to where I think with my inventory models I have in mind, I can shorten that. Yep. Um, and it's coming up with that time frame has worked pretty good, but it's like there's a bell curve of when orders go out. It's like some customers are getting their knives in like three weeks or a month, and some are like I've had a few go over three months, you know. And so it's like I tried to aim that. It's like go, it's like the goalpost of like the 90th percentile of the people are going to land in this one month window of two to three months. Right. And then there's sometimes a few on both ends of that. Yep. Um, and I've tried to decide like, if I, I don't want to be so vague that people think I'm like a huckster, you know what right. I mean? That's, that's my fear. Well, that's is what like, vague, vague has a negative connotation yeah. to it, like out of the gate. Yeah. Well, I'm taking money up front. So with you is right. different, but if like, if someone's paying me for a knife and I say, I'm just, I'm going to make it for you when I can see it, it, it like doesn't feel right for me to not say at least a strong, like calculated estimate. Right. Um, and so your, um, your method, I think at this point lends itself to, are you taking deposit or full payment? Full payment. It's, it's like they were ordering from blade HQ. Okay. Your your language is super clear. Mm. Right. Okay. So yeah, in that context, I would say that your estimates need to, by default be accurate. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. I think that in your language, you can explain that there are variables that come into play with small manufacturing Mm -hmm. to where Mm -hmm. you, you, your best estimate is a realistic estimate, but it can also vary by up to some margin of error that might be, you know, two weeks or three weeks on yeah. either side. You, the knife might be done early. The knife might be done late. This is perfectly normal. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I never liked about taking money was that it essentially creates a pathway to have to explain where that project is. Mm-hmm. Early on, a lot of makers will take money for materials. Mm-hmm. For me, I never, I didn't like to use customer supplied materials, right? And I didn't take money up front for materials with the, I maybe did it three or four times really early on where I literally did not have the money to like buy some, you know, fancy piece of Timascus uh, or, or something. Um, yeah. but I, but I noticed the way that it made me feel. Um, and so my thing was always like, nope, I provide my own materials. 
And then basically the way that, that I worked was you're in the queue. I reach out before I start a knife, check if you still want it. When that knife is basically ready to ship, you send me the payment. The knife ships when it's paid. Mm -hmm. Um, again, this is 11 years ago because I don't do custom orders anymore. Um, but towards the end, like I had already run through this cycle of kind of like running into problems and seeing like, Oh, you paid a, you paid for your materials and now you feel like it's okay to email or call me weekly to see where your knife is at. Yeah. Um, so it didn't, it didn't work for me. And I think a lot of this, I, I say this overarching as like, practices around the way we are running our businesses is figuring out the method that works for you, Mm -hmm. your process, your customers, um, and your overarching goals. And I've thought about like, I have no necessary desire to like take money up front. Like that's not why, but my biggest reason I do it is I'm at a volume level where the actual labor involved in chasing final payment would be like stifling. Yeah, because totally. if, if I'll get to where I'll, I'm going to ship 70 knives like in a week. Right. And if I had to chase down like the final 75% of payment from like 70 people in one week, like it would just, it would become, you know, emailing back and forth like, oh, you don't, you don't like to pay through PayPal. Like here, send right. me a check. Like I'll set your knife aside. Like got all these weird sticky notes on stuff. Like I've, I can't afford the time to chase right. down extra payment. So if the money's in, like I've even considered like diverting all of it to a, a different account. And then I take the final payment to myself, like at the so time that, of completion that is, what is a possible I, That's way. what I would do mm-hmm. either, either final or a large chunk of that. Just because again, mm-hmm. like I like redundancy and I like assurance. Yeah. So for me, like I would rather have that. And we, we deal with some of this stuff already. It's like you do a pre-order, we do a pre-order, for a product like a Deneen mug or something. The turnaround time on that Deneen mug is a few months. It's really easy to get into a hard spot where the money came and went. Mm-hmm. So when we do pre-orders, that money just gets partitioned. Yeah. It's protected. It comes in, the product goes, then we take payday. Everything, everything is dialed. Yeah. Um, obviously with scaling, there are points where sometimes the overlap like doesn't work, mm-hmm. right? Which is you, the money is, is out of sync. Yeah. Um, I, I, I feel like where you're at now, it's a different process, which is you could theoretically make your product list it on the website and sell through. Okay. Mm -hmm. You are offering the ability for someone to custom build their model the way that they want it. Mm Mm-hmm essentially it's a convenience fee to say, look, you can spec this out exactly the way that you want it, but you need to pay for it up front because someone might not want your, your, yeah. your spec model. Yeah. yeah. Right. Chances are that's not actually like the case the knife would sell, but, but as a process, I think it makes perfect sense. And I think mm-hmm. it fits your business model. Yeah. Right? It's, I would say the system on the Overland I've had has worked really good. And I have a few people email, you know, like there'll be two to three month window at like the two month mark. Someone will email and be like, Hey, just want to check in. I'm totally cool with that. Like it's been a great system. Uh, but what's, what's happening is like, I want to tighten that up two to three months. Like I want to shorten it. And so that's why I get back to the idea of this new knife. If I have a massive batch, 
if I start selling them the way I did with the Overland, which is like a little bit earlier in the process and people are starting to claim them like before they're actually finished, which I'm with the Overland, I'm open about that. Like it's, it's not a weird thing. It's it's just people knew they were claiming knives that were in process. Whereas if this new knife, if it's, if they're almost complete to the point where I can't go any further without their input on what they want it finished, uh, that's I want to get to that point before I start selling them so that that window before they have it in their hand gets a lot shorter and it doesn't really change my process. It just means I don't get paid until a little bit later in the process. Right. Still fine. Um, but the that's why this whole situation with timelines has changed in my head of like, so if they're going to if I'm going to open this for sale at the very end of the process, as opposed to in the middle then it changed, it, it pushes it into next year. And it was like, I was a little bit let down by that, but I was like, well, I guess it is what it is, you know, but right. it's, it's just the timeline conversation of like, should I not care about the timeline? Should it just be, it gets done when it gets done, you know? So that fully fits inside of this idea of an internal timeline. For me, internal timelines are kind of a guide and just an overarching, like way to know a, where you are at with your efficiency. Like Mm -hmm. what can you actually expect? Like I know that for me to do a new, a fully new folder model, I probably need somewhere inside of a month of just kind of focusing on that task Mm -hmm. from CAD to like prototyping a month out of a year is a, that's a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Right. I only know that because over the years I've added up like these blocks and been like, yeah, okay. It's like probably like three to three weeks four weeks, something like that. I think where you're at now, it's like, you're almost like just in this data gathering phase. Mm-hmm. Once you have that data kind of lined out, you know, Hey, okay, can I do 10% more or do I want to do 25% less to like create space for something else? I think that, I think that overall it's arbitrary, right? Obviously, I think it probably makes sense to try and hit your timelines, but to be flexible with yourself and flexible with your timeline, because if it's internal, there are things that move or become Mm -hmm. higher priority Mm -hmm. tasks. Mm -hmm. Hard timelines would be something different. So like I'm getting ready for the Kentucky custom knife show. I have to be there December 3rd with product. I have a hard timeline, right? So that is, that's a different type of timeline and a different type of process. I think it's a different constraint. It's a, it's a different constraint. It's an actual constraint. Yeah. Right. It's a, it's, it's got hard ends on it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, reducing the amount of hard deadlines, I think is something that I've always tried to do. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, just because again, like I realized like problems stack, and delays stack. So if I've got, oh, I need to have a new model submission done by December. And I also have a show in December. And it's one of those things where like you just mm-hmm. start to, one thing starts to slide and they all slide. Yeah. And worst so, case scenario is your quality slides, and which your quality, is, right. that's, that's what you, the ultimate thing you try to avoid. Well, it, you know, in our position, like w- the, the times that I've had employees, one of the things that I've really tried to drive home is that we are never in a rush. We're never in a rush. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you have a hard timeline, like that doesn't give you the ability to rush the process Mm -hmm. to rush the product because 
at our level, a rushed product or a flaw is so much more damaging than like <laughs> not completing the project yeah. that yeah. for me. Right? Yeah. We have customers that are willing to wait, obviously, if they right. signed up for this in the first place. So they'll wait a little bit longer to make sure it's perfect. Right. Otherwise That's, they would have bought, you know. Yeah. And, and I realize thing. these are mass generalizations, right? Yeah. But just kind of as like baseline principles, best practices. That's kind of the way that I look at yeah. it. Yeah. So where you're moving, like something that I could see is you increase your production. At some point you will work with probably either a retailer or a just probably retailer, right? Mm-hmm. I would have a hard time thinking you would go to a distributor. No, no, okay. Probably not. So retailer. When you're working with a retailer, do you foresee yourself getting into hard timelines? Or is it so, kind of like, hey, run is done, knives are shipping? So as a part of my business, there's a company called Northwest Knives. It's a retailer. It's right here in Boise and or in Meridian technically. But uh, he's he's a great guy, Aaron, over there. And it, so far, I've kind of, for the Overland, he's been the one lone retailer of that knife. And that actually is one of the flies in the soup that kind of got me thinking and talking about this. And that is like he orders a batch and it's, it takes a lot longer than the two to three months for me to get him his knives. But because I, I always have orders that are still like a couple months out from customers. I got to where I was just, I was like, I need to fill customers orders before I fill a retailer order. But then like six months later, I'm like, at someday I got to fill this retail order. Yeah. And so I fill the retailer order and then I just worry that people that just ordered a knife like a month ago are like, wow, he's, he sent a knife to a retailer instead of me. Whereas like they've been waiting a month and the retailer is waiting six months. So it's like, without knowing the backside, it can look like I took money from a customer and then chose to send their knife to a retailer and to get more money. Like, you know what I mean? I, the optics are a little bit concerning there. And so that's why having a shorter lead time on the right. customer side kind of makes like smooths that over. Um, because if you go to a retailer, you can't get it custom. Right. So that's like, if you're going to wait a little while for a custom, that's how it goes. Right. And so, but it can't be so long that it could have the risk of appearing that I'm trying to make extra money you know, you're trying to move shells around or something. So, okay. Let me, let me like dig in on this one a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Ultimately the two things are unrelated. One is a dealer order. One is a customer order. The problem is that there is some overlap. I think that part of this could be, could definitely be explained. Like I always say, if it's not on paper, it doesn't exist. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So frequently asked questions on the website, super valuable, Instagram post explaining process or a story, you know, one of the pin stories or whatever explaining process, super valuable. Um, I feel like personally as a, as a customer, if, if a maker or retailer could explain the process, I'm making this decision to be part of it or not. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're like, Mm -hmm. Hey, I make 30 customer knives and then I do one dealer order, just, you know, like totally arbitrary numbers. There has to be a point where you're doing that. The only other kind of process that I see there is like you could have, you know, the dealer model being something that isn't available from you for order. Yeah. Or vice versa, the custom things being, I mean, it's six and one half dozen of another, right? Which is one or the other is not just available. Some kind of exclusivity or different model or something. I was going to say model, right? So you could have materials, 
colors, textures, all of like the standard stuff. Model starts to change it up. So it could be, say, you are moved on to your next model by January. The only place to now get an overland is through this dealer. Mm -hmm. Those two things are separate. Yeah, have like a product life cycle that has a series of stages in a sense. Yeah, staged. So again, as a rule, I don't like doing limited releases or exclusives Um, because, (laughs) just because it it drives me nuts because I think a lot of products that actually have a a lot of legs or maybe like a longer life cycle, the idea of a limited release or, or an exclusive is, is attractive, especially to the dealers. Mm-hmm. But I, I just look at it. I'm like, if it's a good process, I don't necessarily want to limit it to a one time yeah. project. Yeah. Especially because things change. Things change. The world changes. Yep. What if you, what if something, you know, yep. What, so, if, what if it's the most popular knife you've ever made and, suddenly you're hamstrung. You're hamstrung. Can't, can't do it again or can't do a colorway. So people, you know, that, that is something that I think with it, with variability, like you can just, you can create a process in there that works, but Mm. bottom line, I think it comes down to communication. Yeah. Which is you dealer orders allow you to satisfy a different customer base but also a different type of efficiency for yourself because you're able to make a batch of knives, not actually have to deal with the, you know, um, individual purchaser mm-hmm. and then move forward. So they they serve a different purpose in your business, mm-hmm. both valuable. Right. right. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting little, little juggling thing, but I, like I said, I think the solution I'm pursuing is shortening the timeline by not opening sales until, towards the end of the process. I think it answers, it just checks so many boxes. So I guess, I guess that's what I'll do and we'll see how she goes. Yeah. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think the, the other version of that too is like, I guess moving towards like the concept of drops, which mm-hmm. is probably a podcast that we should do. Like, yeah. Yeah. What's a drop? Why is a drop? Where'd the drop come yeah. from? All yeah. of that stuff. Yeah. Um, okay. So back on track of, this kind of timeline idea. Any other, so we have internal, that's what we're setting up for ourselves as kind of guidelines for how long a project should take for ourselves. Mm -hmm. We have external hard deadlines, timelines, uh, submission dates. Um, So for factory, if you're designing for factories, they might have a a hard date that if you want to be in the 2025 catalog, your submission needs to be made by you know, X date. Yeah. X date. Um, so that would be another hard one. Any other ones that you kind of see as far as, well, there's, there's also macro stuff of like you, it sounds weird, but it's a, it's a kind of a personal decision, but I, I I always compare like how old are my kids going to be when I'm doing X. So it's like when my kids go off to kindergarten, what do I vision envision my business looking like then? Like I, that's like become the new hard dead, not deadline, the hard, uh, cause I mean, when I, when I was single or when I didn't have kids, it's like it, 10 years from now, I have no measure of what that could be, but right. now I have a measure cause 10 years from now I'm going to have a 12 year old and a 10 or 11 year old. Right. And I'm like, okay, now I can compare like when they're at that age, I picture what I, my dad was doing when I was that age. And I'm like, where do I want to be? And so like, there's the, the timeline of like your family and how that applies to business. And does it, yep. 
impact your business decisions. Right. I mean, well, do you want to, do you want to go to, you got two kids, right? Mm -hmm. Say you stick at two kids. Do you want to go to little league games and you know, whatever else is going on? Or do Mm -hmm. you want to be working in the shop? Yeah. And, and then like, at what age are they now ready to go on like vacations? You know, because when they're super young, there's a, there's an age where vacations become fun. Like Disneyland becomes a relevant thing at a certain age. Right. Uh, And then, and then they leave for college and then like, then you have a different set of parameters. So right. That's- so they say 18 summer. So this is actually funny. You bring this up because this, this is like super relevant, right? Mm-hmm. Over the last few years, I've really worked to prioritize family. Um, and it doesn't come naturally to me because I'm an introverted maker. Mm-hmm. And I spent the majority of my adult life working without anyone else's timelines to take into consideration, right? Like it ended relationships, it ended friendships. Like I just worked the way that I wanted to work. Um, and things flexed around me with a family. That's the, now I have an immovable object that I Mm -hmm. I refuse to damage. Yeah. Okay. So that means that the immovable object, which is my craft now has to become flexible. Yeah. A lot of what I've looked at over the last few years is how can I provide for my family? Um, provide for my own like well-being as a maker and satisfaction and also create time that is flexible and kind of uh, like more dynamic from a family structure standpoint. So this year we did like the fire drill of going to Mexico for a month. Mm. It's the longest I've ever been away from my business and it was terrifying, but because I had built in infrastructure that allowed that to work, it was feasible. So if you look at those as deadlines, like, Hey, when do you want to take your kids abroad or mm-hmm. when, when are they starting sports and how, how often do you want to be involved? Yeah. I think working backwards from those is super, super helpful. Yeah. Well, right now I can tell you the one for me is like, so Wilson, our, our boy, like he's eight months old now. And so he's sleeping in our room, you know? And so the way our house is set up, one of our bedrooms is my office and it's where I do my assembly and stuff. And so Delta, our two, almost three-year-old has her own room. And at some point in this house, they would have to share a room. Right. And so there's, I have the timeline of like, if that's fine, if they share a room, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But like, I do have that at least timeline to consider of like, if I want my to have both my kids to have their own room do their own thing i have x amount of time to either get my business self-contained in a shop off-site or buy a house that has the ability to have the office not take up a bedroom that is required for the family so that's like the biggest timeline that i would say that's the most actionable timeline that it's coming in like a macro level for me right now what do you think that timeline is probably two and a half probably like a year um, before it starts to matter. Cause like sharing a bedroom when they're really little doesn't matter that much, but right. like there will be a time where it probably will matter. Um, and so yeah, like a year to two years, like, yeah, it's going to start to matter. I think, uh, the size so of our it's interesting. Cause we're in the, we're in like a, like a middle ground right now. We had the boys in separate rooms up until a month ago, hmm. pretty much because Winston was so little, it's like, he'd wake up and cry in the middle of the night and like, he'd wake Bo up mm-hmm. now pretty sick they're like bros 
Yeah. We'll hear him yeah. in the bedroom. I love you, Bo. I love you, Winston. Yeah. And we're that's like, awesome. okay, cool. So that's five and two and a half. I don't know how long that goes. We're, we're in a small house too. Um, mm-hmm. So it's great to have like a guest room or like a little office. Um, yeah. But at a point, like obviously they have to probably split up again. And I don't know what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. It, when those, I don't know, eight, I don't know. Well, and, and it, it's, it's driving me to think in terms of, do I, do we add to this house? Do I rent a shop to get, cause we have a big enough house for the family, but the business takes up too much of it. So that's like, that's the biggest action plan for me is like, don't get into a position where I feel like we're like, it's the family versus the business for our house square footage. hundred percent. There's it, no it, versus, right? I don't want it to be toxic. No, no. Even it, even if they're sharing a room and it's fine. Like, I don't yep. want it to be like, Oh honey, you can't keep these decorations because I need that space for my laser. You know what I mean? Like we're already Man, having those conversations. hundred percent. Yeah. You're not yeah. like taking apart a motorcycle in the living room. Yeah. There's some, there's some things that are probably genetically yeah. in us that yeah. we're, that's why the shouse exists, right? Like left my own devices. I'm going to live in a steel building with an apartment. Yep. Exactly. Family structure. We're not doing that right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Maddie would be good with it. If it was nice. (laughs) No kidding. Okay. So that is, that's kind of interesting because I feel like that's a more, that's a more emotionally driven um, timeline. Right. Mm -hmm. So that is, can we call it like a soft deadline or soft timeline where what, what I think starts to happen, the way that I tend to look at this is the overarching process of intertwining timelines is the reality of any given yeah. <laughs> timeline. Yeah. Like not to get like Doesn't, super heady on it. You don't even have to be self-employed to have this conversation at all. Totally. There's, right? It goes through everything. But, but I think that that's where, expectation comes into timelines. So I routinely set goals for myself and fail to meet those goals. Mm-hmm. I am pretty hard on myself, but as I've gotten older, I've also just had to realize like, Hey, like a lot of times the goal might take me longer to achieve, but my, my overall ratio of success to failure is still better. Like I, if I really want yeah. to get it done, I will get so, it done. Just so do probably. you, th- do you think being hard on yourself for missing timelines overall nets you a benefit? That's no. what you're saying. No, no. I think it's trash. Yeah. I, yeah. I absolutely do. I think this is, um, I think that, and I'll go back and probably do the exact same thing, but I, I really think that being present and being able to look at your work and your life as it sits currently and just be like, okay with it and realize like I can change it, but there's literally no reason to beat yourself up mm-hmm. about the, the deadline you didn't just meet. If, if yeah. it's an internal deadline, mm-hmm. what's the point? Like it's done. Yeah. You can't change it now. Yeah. You can change the next one. You can figure out like where that went for, wrong. I think for me being hard on myself when I, when timelines don't work out, I have to, I have to make sure I think about it in the way that I'm hard on myself, not being hard on yourself for not achieving that timeline, but actually being hard on the fact that you set an, an overly (laughs) extreme, uh, goal, like a a timeline that was unattainable. Like that's what I want to be hard on myself about. 
because it's like the next time I set an expectation or a timeline, I need to be more honest about whether that's achievable. Right. And if I do that, then the next time around, it shouldn't be as bad. Like I maybe think, that's the right focus. I think that where you're at, you're still in a development stage in a, in a lot of ways. I think on the overland, you could really accurately estimate how long a run is going to take you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. There's certain tasks that I could, I could accurately timeline. Mm-hmm. It's, I think if all you're doing is production that is repeatable, attainable, I think you hit your timelines. Mm-hmm. I also think it's boring because yeah. if you're pushing and if you're trying new things and trying to like either innovate or develop or grow in any way, how can you possibly hit the timeline if you're doing something so, new? What you're saying is if you hit too many timelines in a row, you need to check yourself. Totally. <laughs> I like it. I, yeah. I only think, I don't think that relates to everybody. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if I was like, man, okay, like every week I hit my quota. The fact that I have a quota is now the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of like, uh, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying a little bit. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like if, right. if, you, if you're not pushing the, the limit, then yeah. you're not working hard enough or not. Well, I mean. So, Man, that's like, that's another one. I want to do it. I want to do an episode on hard work. Yeah. Some of these things, my, my thought when you were saying like, I'm hard on myself about it is like, would you be hard on, on Wilson about it? Right. You going to do that? Like depending on what it is, right? Like, oh, he didn't, whatever it is, a little kid Mm -hmm. didn't, didn't build the Lego the way he wanted to, or wasn't able to draw the picture he wanted to. You're not going to be hard on him about it. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm, say I'm, that. <laughs> I'm cursed with the default position of thinking about everything in terms of numbers, in terms of forecasting, projecting, analyzing. I'm I'm like, you know, spreadsheet king over here, just like mapping roadmaps. Like, yeah, I just I can't <laughs> I can't I I can't get away from it, man. That's just how I operate. But I like it. I think it serves me. I I, I, I do too. To, so far, it doesn't feel toxic. I I wouldn't say I like totally wrecked myself and, you know, beat myself up about timelines, but I do like feel waves of disappointment sometimes. And it's mostly like, I got to be honest, like when I vocalize them, they become real. And then I feel bad that I didn't achieve it. So I've I've found that like, if I feel like it's a stretch, then I don't vocalize it. And then, you know, that's part of it too, is like, how many people do you tell? And that circles back to telling the customer, telling my wife, telling my dad, like, uh, this is my goal. Like, as soon as you say it, you've kind of like nailed it on the, on the board, you know, like this is what I'm trying to do. So here you, I mean, you could turn this into like a little bit of a game. Um, I love gamification of like all things. Yeah. So you could, you could essentially make it a gamble, right? So I would say if you're trying to like quit a habit, you could be like, all right, I'm going to, you ever see me smoking a cigarette? first person to see me smoking a cigarette, I'm going to pay a thousand dollars or whatever it is. Right. Like you live in a small town. That's a, that's a, that's like a, a method that, that has effect. It's like a loss bias. Right. Mm. The flip side of that is you could set yourself a goal to where you're essentially gambling on yourself. The, the payout would benefit you, but also be painful. So you're like, okay, uh, if I don't hit this timeline, I got to throw an extra, thousand dollars into 
the kid's college fund or mm-hmm. into your HS or whatever it is, right? Like yeah, yeah. some type of investment. You got to come up with that money one way or another. Mm-hmm. It's still good, mm-hmm. but you it's not planned for. Yeah. Build a internal incentive structure. Yeah. Building. Yeah. See, <laughs> you can tell I've worked for myself for a long time because I feel like, I feel like a lot of us probably try to create like some corporate structures yeah. inside our own businesses. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like for sure. I love it when we have the melon Give, give myself a raise. <laughs> yeah. Going, going <laughs> for my yearly performance evaluation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some of it, some of it's pretty fun. Like people have always laughed at me because I said I'll change from shop clothes to designer clothes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, but it's a, it's a phase shift. If I'm all dirty and I'm working in the shop and I'm dusty and I'm going to go sit and do some design work. It's like, yeah. man, getting cleaned up and going and sitting yeah. in my office. Like it's a, it's a change of pace, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, timelines. So I think for me, I think what I need to watch is vocalization of goals. I think that's where I get in trouble sometimes is I get overly optimistic. I like, let's say it's my wife. Let's say we're having a conversation. I'm like, honey, I think we can, I think we can get this house like that you like. I think we can do that in six or eight months. Like I I can see that roadmap. And then it's like, that's where it's like, then I beat myself up because I feel like I'm letting someone else down. I think it's not letting me down that actually hurts. It's like, as soon as I get someone's hopes up, and it, it could be a customer, you know what I mean? Like, don't like basically, you, you know, the famous phrase of like under promise over deliver. That's totally. basically, it works for everything. Can I caveat that? Okay. Or counterpoint it. So I feel like a lot of people don't talk about goals or dreams specifically because they feel like the chances of accomplishing them are low Mm -hmm. for me personally. I've always, I've always liked the process of talking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, especially as I think it relates to like a partner, like, like a wife, you know, but do do you think the timeline should be a part of that or should it be more of like, (sighs) this is the, this is the goal, but we don't have to say when, or do you think saying when is part of the goal? I think for me personally, I'm okay with, I'm okay with throwing out, it's rough timelines. It's a, it's a goal. It's an estimate. And it's something, especially if it's something that like you're working on with Becca, you kind of both have to be on the same page Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and there's some accountability and, and, and some topics to be able to, to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I get the idea of why you would not want to throw a timeline out on the table because you're, you just made it solidified. Someone else knows when you essentially in your mind are failing. Yeah. But I mean, if it's not tied to, it's hard. I agree with you on the customer side. I'll have Mm -hmm. your knife in a week. If you're not going to, but interpersonal is a different thing. I, I feel like it is. Right. Yeah. Um, No, for sure. I don't know. Cause then you bring that like, you bring kids into it. It's a different thing too. Cause like yeah. you promise a timeline there that the, the logic might not be in place to actually understand that that timeline might move. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. So where, where's your head at like overall timelines? Like, do we answer the question for yeah, us? I think so. Or- I think, like I said, I think for me, it's shorter timelines are better in general. Shorter time. Thinking, think small ball. Let's think 
what do I want it done in two weeks is a lot better, a lot more productive than what do I want done in two years. Right. Because two you, weeks, you just, you, you're, it's you know what, you got 20, 24 and a half of those yeah. inside of yeah. a year. It's like. Your brain's not a supercomputer. You can't create all the permutations of different stackups of different things going right. sideways to say that in two years you're going to do X, Y, Z. Like it's right. just it's too many variables. So yeah. it's like in, have timelines that enclose a controllable amount of variables. That yes. way when it does slide, you can actually point to, oh, this is what happened as opposed to just the whole thing slid because yeah, you the get world, there, is, you're like, the world turned. You know. Yeah, right. The world. I mean, if, even if you just look at the last couple of years, like any, I said when we moved that every plan I made within a year period, and I mean this in a very literal sense, failed. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that overall at the end of it, it wasn't a success. It was just that any timeline I set, any goal, any budget, they all got broken and had to be put back together or problem solved. Mm. Sometimes that's just yeah. the way it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, one other component to timelines, I think that is relevant. If you're looking at this as like kind of zero sum success failure game is anything you can automate inside of a timeline is valuable. Right. So, look at financial savings or whatever, like better off just putting it to where every week a hundred bucks is going into your bank account and you don't have to think about that again. Mm -hmm. I feel like for a lot of what we're kind of talking about, like for you to accomplish, say whatever the number is, right? A hundred knives a month or something in there, you have X amount of tooling that needs to be ordered you have other supplies, you have shipping materials, you have packaging, you have social media. The more of those things that you can put on essentially a scheduled, you know, kind of process, like, mm-hmm. all right, every Friday I order end mills. Yeah. Or at the beginning of the project, I order end mills yeah. so that you're not solving the same problem twice. Mm-hmm. and then extending that and out. I think that's huge. So what you're saying is, again, it's like reduce the variables inside the scope of the timeline, whether totally. it's through automation or making the timeline smaller or narrower. Yep. Yeah. Right. That's- so it's built. The other thing is I think that when you're looking at longer timelines, so you have this lofty goal, mm-hmm. I think that breaking it down into really manageable pieces yeah. allows you to make adaptations in real time yeah. versus having to try and like fix a massive problem it, it, somewhere in the process. It's almost like only pick the games you can win. They may be hard, but that you know you can win. Right. <laughs> you know, it's sure. kind of like if, if you're a boxer and you're undefeated and you're like two thirds of the way through your career, yeah. you're going to pick the games that you can win. You're going to pick totally. the matches you can win. And yeah. that's like kind of where we're at is like, if you if you feel like you got a ten percent chance of pulling this off, don't set that goal because you're just gonna. It's just one more negative feeling that you're gonna have down the road that you didn't need to have. Well, and maybe and this is the thing, right? So if we look at that and call it a, call that like a moonshot, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, this is crazy. I'm gonna try and do this thing. Mm-hmm. The reality is that it probably doesn't. It wouldn't for me warrant all of my time. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that you've that I feel like you, you fit in and you, you calculate 
how much time it's worth to feed into this timeline mm. or this project or this process yeah. or this relationship, but it's not your majority. Yeah. So that being said, I want to outsell Benchmade within 36 months. <laughs> yes, <good. laughs> yeah. I want to have more production models than Ken Onion by the end of the year. Yep. So, right. yeah, man. That's our accountability commitment That's, uh, right there. Let's do it. I don't know. This one, this is fun because it's a really, it's a really expandable conversation. Um, the, the idea right now that we're talking about is primarily as it relates to us making things in our own shop or us designing things on our own time. Mm-hmm. As soon as you bring in things like outsourcing or product from, you know, like, like Burnley brand sells product that we purchase, right? Mm-hmm. You are essentially bringing in other people's timelines and projects. Yeah. Um, and you realize really quickly what your expectations of when someone gives you a hard timeline. Mm-hmm. If a business tells me I'm going to have my product by November, I assume I'm going to have my product by November. Now, better judgment has led me to a point where I, at this point, don't count on it. This is a case of don't put all your eggs in one basket. Like I just assume that um, it's going to take an extra month or two months and I, I budget accordingly. And that's, and that's touching on a topic that I, I have very little experience with. And that's like, Timeline management in the sphere of a team is also yeah. a completely different conversation because you're no longer, like I said, you're you're putting a whole bunch of variables in there, 10xing the variables yep. that you don't control. Like yep. maybe you have an employee that gets sick or yep. that is, you know, going to go. And that's your own employee. Yeah. I mean, look at, okay, so the first run of SQDs that I did um, with Fox in Maniago. I was right in the middle of the pandemic. They just fully shut down. They had to shut down government shutdown. Mm-hmm. There's nothing you can do. No one's at fault. Mm-hmm. You adapt and you move forward. How can you see that coming? How can you see the next thing coming? You know, it's yep. the only way I think that you can realistically do this at our scale is to be, Elastic. Yeah. To be elastic and like very durable. Right. Mm -hmm. So especially as you start to outlay more revenue, like if you're, if you're out of pocket, you've got deposits on a, on a production project, being very realistic with the fact that it might take you longer to get that money back than you assume. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that not, not everybody that you think, I think this is, I don't want this to sound like a negative cause it's not, but just like the realization that some people either overestimate their deadline potential. Um, or I don't think maybe even are taking it into account in a certain way. Yeah. So if you're, yeah. if you, if you use it as a ballpark and think, okay, I can outlay this amount of money. And then within this, like, you know, two to three month time window, I'll get it back. Yeah. I think that's like a, a way to protect yourself. Yeah. And it and there's also like on the flip side of that, protecting your reputation in a sense that like we've all in all spheres, landscaping, contractors, whatever, there's certain there's certain spheres where it's like, yeah, they do great work. Don't trust anything they say that has anything <laughs> to do with the timeline. Right. Like you've you've heard that about contractors, you know, you right. just hear that. And I'm like, how can I be the 
how can I contrast that in a way that's like, wow, yeah, like be the surprise that you hit your timeline. Right. Um, and that's where I kind of like the thought of that. And so, but that's where designing the timeline is a job in and of itself. And that's where like the elasticity matters that you're building into it. And again, making it, having control of the variables for, because for example, if I, if I take pre-orders before the steel even hits the floor in my shop, right? I've got 50, you know, hundred processes beyond that, that are going to affect the timeline. But if I have 90 out of the hundred processes already done and then have the order, right? I only have 10 things left that can go South. Right. So, but one of those, like for instance, right, one of those things statistically could be that the steel's not there when you go to order it. Yep. Yep. It's which outside is, of your control. Which is why so far I haven't taken any orders that I didn't already own the steel. That was kind of my like so hard line. Right there. You yeah. already have, you've already developed a robust process to ensure that when you take money, you will be able to deliver the product. That's huge, man. Just that mm. right there. The fact that you say, okay, I'm taking the money, but I have the materials. Mm-hmm. Just that is eliminating potential catastrophic failures in what four to five distributors. Yeah. And a thousand variables that, and a thousand um, variables. I think I I like that. We've kind of landed on that. Like count in a rough sense, the variables within your timeline and shrinking the variables makes the timeline more robust. I wonder if there is, I wonder if there is any type of rule that that exists for this like like you know like an 80 20 rule or something like that or like is there something around economics that would that would cover this as far as like your timeline times variables you know plus whatever is is how much okay so it's now your timeline is four weeks with this added information it is now seven weeks yeah has to exist. If we have any uh, economists yeah. <laughs> listening, I would love to hear if you Statistic- guys have any statisticians. Yeah, yeah or a statistician. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to hear yeah. if you have any feedback. Yeah, but I think, yeah, I think if I can shrink variables inside timelines, be elastic, be honest about that about the remaining variables, you still have to be honest about. But you can be more honest when you can take account of these few variables. If there's too many, you can't be honest because you you're not a supercomputer. Well, you can. Uh, you can go my route, which is to say, I can't hit. Don't a don't give one at all, right? Yeah. And be and be like brutally honest about that fact. Yeah. Um. So those are. I think that's the other variation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd be I'd be curious to hear. I'd be curious to hear how other makers kind of deal with this. I mean, I know a little bit because we all have maker friends, and there's different um kind of factions of. Mm-hmm. If you're leaning more towards manufacturing side, your process is is more dialed in a way that you're able to yeah. more easily control versus here's the another side. Here's another little thing. Do you ever get the feeling, maybe you've gotten past this, but I've I've started to get past it, but do you ever get the feeling that when someone asks, like, how long until I get my knife or how long until you launch the new model, et cetera, you there's a little you add a little bit of weight to not wanting to disappoint them by it being too long of a timeline. And so like, there's this emotional, you, you like become an optimist in that moment, even though if you're alone in your shop, you're being more pessimistic, right? But you tell them the most optimistic date 
because you don't want them to be deterred by like such a long timeline. And it's like, I've been reminding myself, like give them the pessimistic date. Right. Even if you're looking them straight in the eye and you don't want to disappoint them, right. you have to tell them the pessimistic estimation. Well, and this is long game versus short game. Yeah. Would you rather disappoint them at the end of the project or would you rather disappoint them in the moment when you're having yeah. the conversation? Like yeah. me, I would much rather disappoint them now yeah. because that decision that they're making, they could say, well, I don't want the, I don't want the order. Mm-hmm. Hey, I want out. Okay. No problem. But you're not giving false hope mm-hmm. and not delivering at the end. Yeah. I would much rather be, be pessimistic or I mean, the argument can be made realistic Yeah, yeah. that the estimated timeline is our longest version mm-hmm. because you're getting a margin of error under promise over deliver under promise over deliver. Yeah. So, so what pest be pessimistic or <laughs> realistic yep. on when you, when you phrase it, if you have to give, a if you're having a conversation about it, yep. Uh, mitigate the number of variables inside of that sphere of that timeline. Yep. And be elastic on yourself when you can't control the variables. Right. Like uh, that's the good. TJ method. The Burnley method is to avoid all timelines. No timelines <laughs> at all. No timelines. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no gods, no masters. And yeah. You win this. You've already won. <laughs> yeah. But that's yeah. the thing. Long game efficiency plays. Right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if you're a manufacturer, you cannot, you cannot play the game that I'm playing. I don't think too great success. There's yeah. too, you have too many variables tied together. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and if the other thing is, are you doing c- truly custom stuff or not? Cause it's like, right. if you, if I wanted to change my business tomorrow, not take any custom work, build all the knives, do like yep. four different color variations, sell them all. It'd probably be a lot easier on myself in some ways. Yep. It'd kind of solve a lot of this and, and I'd be more in your, park um kind of ish so there okay so here's another component of this right which is i'm looking for like a slick way of saying this um because essentially it's just a thought exercise right if you take your process and run it out exponentially like does it does it work Mm -hmm. right um it start it starts to get really tricky. What I just lost my train of thought too, man. Okay, it's getting in the weeds. Um, tell me the last thing that you said. You're, Where were we? I think you were talking about me doing custom variations versus doing like actual okay. inventory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Finish. Okay, perfect. Okay, yeah. so here's here's the here's the process. You stop doing custom variations, okay? And then you realize, man, this is so efficient. Me not doing custom variations. Okay, I am going to not answer customer emails, and I'm only going to post my product on the website. Okay. So you stop having communication with customers. You are being super efficient at your production, but while you're doing that, the overall quality and value of your business is suffering. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to be really careful about anything that you identify as a method, right? Thinking that more of that thing is better. Yeah. If I take my process and I extend it, I end up in like a similar way, which is I only want to be creative. I don't want to have any obligations on my making time. Well, that like ends up starving artists real fast. 
because yeah. I'm just going to be bouncing around working on weird things that don't pay the bills. Yeah. So I think that existing in, in a balanced form of, of your process is like pretty key. And, and sometimes realizing like, man, you can take, you could take any variation of this just to a point where it's actually self-destructive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's as a, you can't take anything good taken to an extreme becomes its opposite. Right. That's what my dad says that all the time. It's true. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think I, I think got we, nothing uh, else, man. I feel I like we, I'm drained on it. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like I learned a few things, honestly. Same. It's good. Well, it's interesting because I think as we do this, we're like, we've, we've both had some timelines. So like I set timeline for myself. I'm going to try to do like the five customs a month. I still haven't finished that first five customs. They're very close, but in that I've had four or five other projects kind of come and go. And Mm -hmm. what I'm realizing is like, for me right now, even internal hard deadlines are less important than identifying the projects that I want to be continually running because mm-hmm. they'll get finished if they're started. But if I don't make sure they're on the schedule, they just don't happen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're seeing some areas where you are not hitting your deadline, but you are also increasing what you are expecting out of that project yeah. or yourself. So I think that's yeah. like, also very reasonable. Mm -hmm. If you set a deadline, didn't change the margin, did it exactly the same way and didn't meet it, that would be something. Mm -hmm. If I, it would be a step backwards. I feel like if I were to say, Hey, I'm going to finish these five knives by the end of the month, didn't take on those additional projects, didn't have other things that were kind of taking that time. And I still didn't finish those. I would consider that a failure. Yeah. Barring that, I just think it's part of the process. Yeah. I like At least it. I want to tell myself that. So, <laughs> well, you guys that are listening, tell us what you think. Um, we be we will be posting on Instagram the uh, like a clip from this with the episode. So every episode has an Instagram post on at Edge and Flow Pod or Ed, Edge and Flow Podcast Instagram. Yep. Um, yeah, go ahead and hit that up. And if you want to like have a conversation in the comment stream there, it's pretty fun. A few people have been popping in and we really appreciate it. Yep. We'd love that. And, um, we really want to do a listener Q and a soon. Mm-hmm. We just need to figure out like how to have some questions submitted yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, start sending us questions. We can start, you know, kind of tacking some to the, yep. to the chalkboard. Yeah. Or any, any topics, yeah. if you guys have anything you want us to kind of dig into, we would, we would love that. Um, yeah. so Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Have a good one, everybody. All right. Take it easy. See you next time.